0: Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we tackle our most pervasive fears with truth, because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery. And I'm Kimmy Miller. And we know challenges and hardships are going to come. Jesus promised we would experience trouble, but that doesn't mean we must be tossed about. We can stand strong no matter what comes when we anchor ourselves in Christ and all that we have in him. And the content for today's message came in part from a presentation Kimmy gave during a women's retreat a couple years ago. And as an aside, if you'd like to hear her full message, contact her through her website, linked in the show notes for booking information. But as I was saying, she gave a powerful talk designed to help women shift their perspective off the chaos all around them and onto the immovable power and presence of Christ.
2: Thank you, Jennifer. You know, that message was so dear to my heart, and I think it's because we've all encountered storms of some kind. And it's so important for us to anchor ourselves to Jesus in the midst of any storm. You know, when, when you're in a storm, when and when we say storm, we're talking about, it could be anything, right? Anything that creates hardships, and we feel like things are just coming against us. When we're in, in a storm, we're disoriented, and, and it, we have distorted vision, and it can be difficult for us to even see the other side or, or where we're going, and even where you're at. And so we have to anchor ourselves to Jesus. When you're in a storm, you're disoriented and your vision is distorted. And so it's very difficult to see where you're going and even where you're at. And so we have to anchor ourselves to Jesus. When I was preparing this message, um, the theme was anchor. And I wanted to do something different. So I literally Googled, what is an anchor? And out of all the results that came back, there was a blog post um, from a photographer and he talked about the importance of having an anchor when you're shooting photography. I'm not a photographer. So this was all interesting to me. Do you you shoot photography, Jennifer? Very poorly. (laughs) Well, maybe this will help you. Now you'd be great. So I learned that when you're taking pictures, especially of landscape photos, you want to use a wide lens because it helps to create space and depth. At the same time, it creates too much space and depth. And so you kind of get lost in a picture. And so this photographer was talking about the importance of having an anchor in your photo. And what that meant was, if you would picture a meadow, right, a beautiful meadow, or we're here in the Midwest, so it could be plains, it could be cornfields, and big open sky, beautiful picture, but where do you focus your attention? And you can get lost in that space. And so an anchor in that example might be a tree in the forefront or a fence post, something that you anchor your eyes on. It grabs your attention. It kind of guides your eyes through the picture and helps tell a story. And when I read that, I was reminded of when Jesus walked on water in the storm and Peter got out of the boat and walked to him. And if you're familiar with this story, in a second Peter's eyes, he takes them off of Jesus and onto the waves and the storm around him, and he starts to sink. And of course, Jesus reaches out and and grabs his hand and pulls him back up. And he says, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And so we see very clearly in this biblical story, how important it is to have Jesus as our anchor. When he's in the forefront, we can see more clearly what he wants us to see, right? He helps tell the story. He helps guide our eyes. I I like to think of that, that story often, and just that little lesson, and maybe we'll all be better photographers because of it too.
1: (laughs) And you you know, when you, when you talk about that story too, I just think of the whole context in which it occurred. So if you'd read through the passages and it's told in all three gospels, well, in three of the Matthew, Mark and John and the disciples, they had had a really tiring day. So they had just learned that John the Baptist had been beheaded for his faith. Matthew 14, verse 13 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And then we read, we know from reading further that he brought the disciples with him and they probably were a bit shaken up. I mean, they were probably thinking like, okay, I'm with Jesus and everything's going great. This is the Messiah. And John foretold the Messiah and everything should have gone great for him, but he was executed. And they're probably, thinking like that's not supposed to happen that had to shake up their world a little bit. And I wonder if Jesus pulled away in part, maybe because he was grieving, but then I also wonder, you know, you talked about how Jesus tells the story or helps us to see the story. I wonder if he pulled away to help shape their perspective a little, like, yes, this is a really hard thing. This, this is, this is hard to process and, and probably frightening, but let me give you truth in it. But then as usual, the crowds followed them and remained with them until evening and knowing the people were hungry, which I can only assume that the disciples were probably hungry as well. Jesus fed 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children. And then he sent the disciples off to row across the sea of Galilee. And according to John six, verse 19, when the storm hit, they had been rowing three to four miles. Now I don't know. I'm not a rower. I I have no upper body strength. So I'm probably, that might be a little more dramatic to me than maybe it was in real life. But at that point, I would have been, I would have been hungry. I would have been exhausted. I would have been a little emotional. I would have maybe been a little discouraged and and maybe disillusioned. I'm not sure. And I don't know about you, but I handle life storms so much better. First of all, when I only get one storm at a time right? right. (laughs) and then, and then, and when the storm is short and second of all, when I'm well-rested and I'm well-fed when I'm tired and when I'm hungry, everything feels so much harder.
2: Right. I, I'm the same way. And I can't imagine what they must have been experiencing. We, we have that hangry, right? When you're hungry and tired. And I like to say that you're also tangry, tired and angry. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were all of those things. And I, there has to be uncertainty also, right? And when they're in this storm, as you said, it was in the night. And in Mark's passage, it actually shows that it wasn't just nighttime, It was the end of the night, like, and Jesus was not with them. And it shows in Mark chapter six, that he was on the hill, that he'd gone to a desolate place to pray, even then, even after he fed the 5,000. And so he could see the disciples out on the water. And in Mark six, it says that he saw them. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. As the night was ending, he came to them walking on the sea for he wanted to pass by them. There are two important things here. As I said, the night was ending. So we know that he could see them straining all through the night and he didn't come to them. Right. And then we see that he, he wanted to pass by them. Now hold the phone, (laughs) right? Like, doesn't that make you want to say, what is going on here, Jesus? Because if I'm in the boat, which is how I like, when I read scripture, I want to be in the story. I want to imagine, like you said, Jennifer, okay, they're tired. They're hungry. They're again, they've seen a miracle, and now they're in a boat in a storm all through the night, straining against the wind, straining against the waves, wondering, Where's Jesus? And then we read, Jesus was going to pass them by. Oh my goodness, how is that possible? And I remember reading this and thinking, Okay, pass. he was going to pass them, why would he want to pass them by? Why would that be his intention? And so. I thought about where I'd heard that before, and it's in Exodus, in Exodus, when Moses wants to see God. And so he hides him in the cleft of the rock and he passes, his glory passes by. And I believe that that is what Jesus wanted to reveal to his disciples at that time, that it was his glory. They were familiar with the scriptures, the holy scriptures and and the stories. Do you want to go there, Jennifer? Do you want to talk about that piece? It's Exodus chapter 33.
1: Sure. Actually, it's one of my favorite passages in scripture, in part again, because I just, I love once we understand the context of a certain part of scripture, it just adds depth to it. And so this was directly after the Israelites, who God had rescued from slavery through all of these miraculous works. And then he went up on Moses, their leader, went up on Mount Sinai to get basically the law to meet with God face to face. And while he was up there, the People, they began worship, they created a golden calf and they began worshiping this calf. And so, and then it was after that, basically where Moses is like to God, Lord, show me your glory. And when I read the passage, I'm thinking that Moses is like, Hey, I don't get this. You should annihilate us all. And yet you're still here. Show me who you are because I don't get it. And, and that was when, yeah, God said to him, okay, I will, I will show you my glory, but I can't show you my face. Because that would be just like, if you really knew who I am in all my vastness, you could your mind could not handle it. That's the Jennifer Slattery version.
0: And so he said, <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll hide you in a cleft of a rock. I'll put my hand over you and I will pass by and you will see my back. So it's like, you're going to get a glint. You're going to get all the glory that you are able to handle at this moment. And I, I also love something else that God said, which I think is, you know, his, his, he said, I'm going to show you my goodness and I'm going to show you my glory. So he, it seemed like he used those words interchangeably. So his goodness is his, is his glory. And he said, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to give you rest. And so I think just when we think of his glory, it's, it's who he is in his vastness and who he is, is faithful and yes. good. And loving,
2: and so now take that and put that into the story where we are in the midst of a storm. Jesus wants to reveal his glory in our storm. Talk about an anchor. Talk about something that changes your perspective. When your eyes are on him, everything else pales in comparison.
1: I think it's important to recognize as well, when, when I'm going through a tough period, normally in the beginning, if, it, if it's a short period of time, I'm like, yeah, this is good. God and I are good. And if it goes on for a long period of time, I can begin, my, my mind can play tricks on me. And like, I will think, well, is God mad at me? Well, is he done using me? Did I, did I do something wrong? Did I kind of blow this, this opportunity or, or whatever? And in this passage, Jesus said, go in the boat. And the disciples had obeyed, they'd been obedient all day. Like they they'd stuck around to feed the people, they'd rowed in the boat, they were still rowing in the boat. They were out 3 to 4 miles like they didn't turn back, you know. They, right. And and yet the storm still hit. And and I think it's important to remember God's faithfulness is not dependent on ours. I say that all the time. God's faithfulness to us is dependent on Jesus Christ's faithfulness to die on the cross. And right. so that's that's an anchor. We anchor ourselves in Jesus Christ's faithfulness. And so that helps us like you talked about and I think we have to keep shifting back our perspective to okay, our mind might be telling us this story, but That's not the real story. So we have to shift Jesus, you're going to tell me the real story. And that's like what you talked about, keeping our eyes on him. And like you said, he sees our struggle, he cares. And I love. He comes to us in the middle of our struggle, just like he did with the disciples.
2: Yes. And if you continue on in this Mark passage in verse 50, I'll go to 49. When they saw him walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, have courage. It is I do not be afraid. Then he went up with them into the boat and the wind ceased. And they were completely astonished because they did not understand about the loaves. But because their hearts were hardened, and that was about the feeding of the 5,000. But when it says that he went up with them into the boat and the wind ceased, I think sometimes, Jennifer, we want the storm to stop first. That's really all we want. I just want the storm to stop. But we miss this beautiful truth that Jesus gets in the boat before the storm stops. And that in itself is something it's truth It's more than something it's truth to hold on to it's the truth that will bring you peace in the midst of the storm
1: and that's just like you said you know when he came to them he didn't say hey y'all buck up try harder or row row faster or let's get some strategy as to how we're gonna fight this storm how we're gonna move forward he said no take courage it is i and do not be afraid and do not be afraid (laughs) absolutely and you know it's interesting When I just considered their journey, just watching Christ's journey with the disciples, and it seems like he was bringing them on this progression of deeper faith. And and so commentators suggest, too, that from this point in his ministry on, he was more intensely focused on specifically growing his disciples, and and so this was about when this storm occurred. It was about a year before Christ's death, and so actually, if we think about it too, they'd only been with him for two years. And I don't know where you were at in two years in your faith, but I was I was a baby in my faith. Now, granted, they had him day in and day out living with them and walking with them, but but he was he was training them intently and intensely for everything that he had ahead of them. And so it was very, I, I see Jesus as being very strategic in this. And they'd been in a similar position prior. So they'd been caught in a storm before. So I wonder if they were just thinking back, okay, we've been in a storm in a boat before, but the difference was Jesus, he was sleeping in the boat right at, right. <laughs> at that time, but he was with them. And so here it's like, he takes their faith just one step further Can I still see you? Can I still help you when you can't see me? And so I see it as him just bringing them to where they would, you know, they'd already seen his power, they'd seen his provision, they'd seen his protection, they'd, they'd, seen his power over darkness and over death. And so their faith probably through all of those experiences, just walking with him had grown exponentially, but there still was like, he said, why, why did you doubt? Like there was still places of doubt in their heart that he needed to reveal and then, and then deal with, with truth to, to bolster with, with truth. And so he, I think we have to remember, like if we can look at it and I loved your analogy of it being a story, right. Of, of what is the true story? It helps us create a story, or actually I would say it helps us align with the correct story. But if we can see it through, if we're anchored in truth, okay, I know Jesus is all powerful, all loving. He's proven that scripture promises that that is truth, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I think. Therefore, and I know he's strategic and I know he always has a plan because again, scripture promises that he's working all things out for my good and his glory. Therefore, I have to view this situation through the lens of his love, his power, his provision and his protection, which means there's something bigger going on here.
2: Yes. And so often when, if we use that photography analogy and we think about Jesus as the anchor. So what I'm saying in that, if you can picture as you're looking out at your life, at your situation, your storm, your circumstances, whatever it is, When Jesus is the anchor, when he's what grabs your attention and guides your eyes through the story and gives you perspective, everything changes. Everything pales in comparison. But what happens when Jesus isn't that anchor? Because when I look at my own life, I've had some anchors that didn't really help me. In fact, they were they were just bad all the way around, but like an anchor, they held me in place, but not where I wanted to be. It kept me from moving forward. It kept me from getting through the storm. Some anchors like shame, right? I have I had a lot of shame in my in my past and my own insecurities and sometimes pride, all of those can be anchors. And if we're not careful, like I said, they can obstruct the story.
1: And you know, I think sometimes when we think of shame, we automatically think of like something that would be scandalous or embarrassing, but really shame is any time that we kind of own a lie. So like guilt says, I messed up. Shame says, I'm a mess up. Guilt says that was a bad decision shame says i'm bad guilt says i wish i would have done that differently shame says i'm worthless so really it's believing a false identity it's a distorted vision of ourselves of our circumstances and and i would say even of jesus and his love for us because i think our identity really comes from if we really understand if we're really anchored in christ and in and his truth, then we're going to begin to see ourselves with clarity as well. And I think we have to recognize as well, this was a big step for me that we're not as bad as we think we are. Like I I was once leading a women's Bible study and I I had, I, I was leading the Holy loves Bible study, becoming his princess. And so I was sharing just bits of my story and we sat around at the tables and we're talking after, and I think it was the week on, on living in grace. And one of the women started to open up and she was really struggling with, with even though she was redeemed by Christ, transformed, made new, his beloved daughter covered in his righteousness. She still, her, her gaze was shifted off of that and it was onto her past. And so she was still reading her story through the anchors of her past. and And so it was hindering her from really living in freedom. And I said, well, do you believe that your sin isn't any worse than anyone else's? And she kind of looked down and she said, She said, no, I don't believe that. And I said, well, do you know, I believe my sin isn't any worse than anyone else's. And you've heard my story. (laughs) And so, and, and she just kind of looked at me and I think that's a process to kind of understand and, and to, to recognize that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so if we're all standing at the base of the cross with our savior bleeding and dying, there's no like measuring what sin is worse. It's just He bled and died for me. It's done. It's paid for. And I'm going to honor his death and resurrection by learning to live in that reality, by making that my new anchor.
2: Jennifer, when you're talking about shame, I can't help but think of the woman with the alabaster jar. And we read about her story in Luke 7, verse 36. It says, now one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Then, when a woman of that town, who was a sinner, learned that Jesus was dining at the Pharisees' house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them. And anointed them with the perfumed oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Now, he didn't say it out loud, right? He said it, it was a thought. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. And then Jesus goes in to tell the story of one who was forgiven a great debt and one who was given, forgiven for a lesser debt. And who do you think would be more grateful? But clearly this woman in this story, her anchor was Jesus. She was anchored to the freedom and life that he had given her. And we can clearly see that Simon had pride as his anchor. Right? I mean, that was, that's how he saw everything. That's how he saw the picture. It's how he saw things playing out clearly in the place to make judgment of what was taking place around him. And Jesus, so gracious and so kind. And there is another translation and it actually says, um, Jesus said to Simon, can I tell you something? And I love that. And, and so often I believe that today through Holy Spirit, that's how Jesus talks to me. When I'm prideful or judgmental or just being a little chumpalina, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> Holy Spirit says, Kimmy, can I tell you something? Right. And in that moment, it's so awesome because he gives us the choice. I can say, no, I don't want to hear it. I want to sit here and be angry and be frustrated. Or I have the choice to say, I'm listening, say it teacher.
1: And you know, pride could have been both of their anchors. So I almost see like just the stark contrast because pride could have kept her from entering. I mean, she entered the religious man's house, like that would have been, I I don't know if I would have had the courage, especially because, I mean, it was known and and that she was a sinful woman and a lot of Com- most commentators, I think all commentators suggest that she was probably a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And so the Pharisees would have had nothing to do with prostitutes. They wouldn't have even wanted to touch them. They would have stayed as far away from them as they could have. And so just to walk in there, she had to know, and there were probably a lot of really powerful men in, in there as well. Like mm-hmm. I really doubt that, that it was just Jesus and his disciples because it probably, Simon was had Jesus over and it was, it was an honor in back in that time, considered a really high honor to host a traveling teacher. And so probably he's like, Hey, look at me. I've got this important man in my house. And then, and, and everybody comes see how important I am. And then in walks this woman and it took so, so much courage and it took killing her pride. And then you see, and and what she received, she received freedom and, and love and grace. And Simon held tight to his pride He fought for his pride. And I, I would imagine that's a little out of fear as well. It's the fear that says, if I don't present this image, I'm not going to be good enough. If I don't hold tight to my status, I'm not good enough. If if people don't esteem me in a certain way, I'm not good enough. Whereas the reality is anytime we try to find our value in, in, in our identity and anything other than Jesus Christ, we will end up filled with inner turmoil, with angst, with fear, with anger. Anxiety. We will tend, our relationships will be a mess and we'll turn these wonderful dinner parties <laughs> into, into places of, of conflict and disappointment. Our identity and our security must be anchored in Christ, who we are to him and who we are in him. And also our ultimate purpose, our calling the assignment he's given us. When I think about fixing our eyes, anchoring our vision on Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of Hebrews 12 verses one to two. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw up everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God
2: such a powerful piece of scripture that really just emphasizes the point of what we've been talking about. Earlier, Jennifer, you talked about how Jesus was stretching their faith, growing their faith in Christ. And this tells us that if he did it with the disciples, he's certainly going to do it with us. And so to run With perseverance, the race marked out for us. And it's important to know that my race is not your race. Christ cares so much about me and about the world that each of us have a unique race that he planned before the beginning of time. He planned it for you specifically. Every circumstance, every situation that you encounter does not take him by surprise. So that is why when we, why would we not keep our eyes on him? He's the one that sees it all. And it's for the joy set before him also that he endured the race, that he longs to be with us, that salvation, that salvation through him, that's what he wanted for each of us. And the intimacy with us.
1: And, you know, I think our our race is meant to increase that intimacy. It's meant to actually be just an expression of that joy. But when I start focusing on other people's race on their journey. And as an author and a speaker, it's pretty easy to do that. I've got a lot of author and speaker friends and they're out speaking across the world and they're doing these great things. And and when I begin to focus on what everybody else is doing, thinking, well, maybe I should be doing that. And so Jesus, shouldn't you give me another race? Like Jesus, did you let's kind of shift over here. Can't you carve out this path for me? It, it kills my joy. It kills my peace. And, and usually it causes harm in my relationships and it will create a lot of stress and anxiety within me. It, and so I think that's part of this is just run with perseverance, the race marked out for you. And I think when when we don't do that, we're in essence saying God doesn't know what's best for us or that God won't lead us towards what's best for us. So again, it goes back to those revelations of doubt within us that we need to then anchor deeper into truth. And I also love that it, that it said that Jesus endured for the joy that was set before him. And you talked about the joy of our salvation, our intimacy with him. That's amazing that that would bring him so much joy that he would endure that much. I think sometimes we forget that is our savior. That is how much he loves us. And we need to remember that during times of struggle because the storm will disorient us to that truth. And I think he he also received joy of knowing that he had completed well everything that was assigned to him and the joy of knowing everything that was ahead for him, His when he was going to be back in the Father's presence with the glory, the full glory that he had since time began. And so if we're using him as our model, then we can find joy in the same things, right? Like the joy of our salvation. No storm is going to take that from us. The joy of knowing... That That our lives, when we live for Jesus, will have impact, will bring others to salvation. The joy of intimacy with Christ and the joy, this is my my favorite, the joy of knowing one day we are going to be standing face to face with the one who bled and died for us. He's going to look us in the eye and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And in that moment, nothing else is going to matter. Will you close us in prayer, Kimmy? Sure.
2: Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to dig into your word and to just find these nuggets of truth that we can hold on to. Jesus says we anchor our eyes on you. Thanks for putting everything into perspective. Thank you for the peace that you give us. Thank you for telling the story the way it's meant to be told. May our ears always be open to hear your voice. May our eyes be open to see your glory. In all things, Jesus, might you be glorified. We love you and we trust you for these things. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In your mighty name, amen.
1: Amen. Well, thank you for listening. And may this encourage you just to be alert to what you're anchoring yourself to. And when you notice you're shifting to a false anchor or to an ineffective, I would say, anchor, just shift it back to Jesus Christ and his truth. If you haven't already done so, we would love it if you would subscribe. Then you won't miss a single episode. And make sure to rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it as well. Share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to LifeAudio.com.
1: Hello, hello. Ponice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's Word, one verse at a time, to explore His will for your life and desire to draw closer to Him?